Good morning. My passage this morning is on Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the reason why Dave tipped that water over was to be an illustration of thirst. We planned that, you see. I've been setting it up for the last three weeks, you see. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, 15 years ago, Lord, our nation wept. We were united. And now we're divided. We wanted justice. And today we want justice, but we're divided. Lord, you longed for unity in your people. Jesus, you prayed that your church would be united, that they would be one of one essence, yet of many persons, the way that you, Lord Jesus, are one with the Father and the Spirit. Though there are many persons, Lord, there is but one essence. There is to be but one mind in this church. The mind of Christ Jesus. The one who emptied himself. The one who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped but condescended to dwell in fallen and with fallen flesh, that Jesus would endure the curse of the cross as the greatest mystery, that you, God, would leave a throne for a cross. Lord, I believe that the only answer now in this day of disunity, we were united 15 years ago as we watched towers crumble and as we watched lives be taken. We were united, but today we are divided. But I am convinced, Lord, that you can unite, at least unite the American church. But Lord, it begins with repentance. How many of us this morning, Lord, brought in to this fellowship Racism, classism, sexism, ageism, and every other ism that seeks to divide. How many of us came in this morning not prepared to worship, but prepared to do battle? Lord, I pray that that spirit would leave this church. If there is any spirit like that of disunity in this church, Lord, I pray that that spirit would leave. I pray that it would begin with repentance and confession. Lord, we need to confess our sins. We need to hear ourselves say, we have sinned against you. Others need to hear us say about ourselves, we are sinners in need of not only your forgiveness, 
but in need of the forgiveness of our brothers and sisters here at church. But Lord, confession is not all we need. We need repentance. We need to cast off any disunity, any hatred that might be permeating this church, Lord. Don't allow this church to be affected by the division and disunity of race and of age and of sexuality in this church, Lord. Don't let that be here. Teach us to love you, Lord God, and love our neighbor as ourself. This is the greatest commandment. Jesus, I pray that there would be no cause for partiality in my brothers and sisters here, but that they would see themselves all poor in spirit, all in mourning for their own sins, all hungry and thirsty for righteousness in their own lives and in the lives of others, Lord, that we would all see our need before an almighty God who's the only one who can ever answer, who can ever fill us, who can ever quench our thirst, and not in themselves and not in their politics and not in their culture, but only in you, Lord God, Lord, I pray that this church would transcend disunity and would unite at the cross. Lord, this nation is divided today because this nation has rejected the cross. We know that they have rejected the cross. And Lord, as we as a church center around the cross... Let us see ourselves as the salt and light to a confused and hateful world, a dark world. Lord, let each and every individual believer by themselves as they go out into the world be the light of the world. And then let this church shine brightly in this neighborhood. Teach us how, Lord God. Show us how we might give food to those who hunger. Give water to those who thirst. Physical water, physical food, Lord God. Teach us how we might do that. But Lord, teach us more how we might give living water and living bread. Lord, we fail if we fill bellies and bladders and hearts are far from you. Lord, let us see this not as an either or, but as a both and. Let us fill bellies and fill bladders specifically, Lord, because you have filled our heart. Lord, let us see that the answer for all of the world's problems is at the cross and by the people who believe in that cross. Unite us around the cross this morning. I pray for our nation. Lord, keep our nation from civil war. We don't believe it possible, Lord. 
We don't think it would be possible that these streets could be filled with the blood of brothers and sisters. But you, Lord, know better. Lord, you know that it is possible in this day and age for us to continuously enter into more and more violence before we ever recognize that what we once thought we controlled has now gone away from us. Lord, let us be, as the Northwest Baptist Church, individually and collectively, a solution to the problem. Let those who come out from the world and into our midst see our love for red and yellow, black and white, Lord. As children, we sang that song, Lord, of red and yellow, black and white. And you said, Lord, that the children are those hearts that the kingdom, every kingdom heart should be of. Every kingdom heart should be as that of a child. Then, Lord, let us demonstrate our childlike faith as we accept your word of putting no partiality, no difference between us, and let us be a light to the world. Thank you, Father. You are almighty God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. The title of our sermon this morning is Poor in Spirit and Hungry for Righteousness. Poor in Spirit and Hungry for Righteousness. In the Beatitudes at verse 7, Jesus has said, Blessed are those, so far he has taught us, that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those, today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied in Luke chapter 21 it says blessed are those who hunger now for they shall be fed before we even look at this and explain this passage this morning I want to move away from the idea that this is only speaking about our righteousness and that Jesus is not concerned with real hunger and real thirst it is false to believe that we can be God's people and have no care and concern for the poor. Read the Gospel of Luke. The evidence is overwhelming. God expects His people to care for those who are poor. And so we have a responsibility this morning not to get into a question of whether or not Luke and Matthew are in a debate over poverty of spirit or real financial poverty. But to say this, it is a concern, both of these are a concern or should be a concern or must be a concern of God's people for all ages 
for all times and places, that we care not only for ourselves, but for those who are literally economically poor, for those who are literally thirsty and hungry. So before we look at anything about the specifics of this passage, I want us to just first grasp this. We have a responsibility to care for those in need. We looked at these Beatitudes and we've noted that these Beatitudes are kingdom attitudes with kingdom blessings. In other words, Jesus is describing the people of God in this passage. These are the people of God. It is not that some of us can choose some of these Beatitudes. It's that all those who are God's people are all of these attitudes and are increasing in these attitudes of poor in spirit, of mourning for sin, of meekness, and today of literal hunger and thirst, but hunger and thirst today of figurative righteousness. These are the character traits of God's people. We learn that each one of these promises will have its fulfillment subsequent to the Lord's return. It's not that we're going to get the kingdom of heaven here and now. It's not that we're going to be comforted fully here and now or fed here and now. The tension is always between the now and the then. What theologians call the already but not yet. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today in any of these Beatitudes, but specifically with this one, thirst and hunger for righteousness, is this question. How can we today, as believers, as the church, gain greater and greater satisfaction in this life in righteousness. That's our question today. How can we get greater satisfaction in righteousness in this life? Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It's a natural response to being impoverished. If you're poor, it's likely that you're hungry and thirsty. This week, Kathleen had a Bible study for the children and they were talking about Joseph and the famine. And Kathleen asked the question, what would you do if you didn't have any food? Where would you go? How would you be fed? And Claire sweetly answered, you go to the grocery store. That's what all of us would do, right? Isn't that what all of us would do if we were hungry? No, some of us are too lazy to even go to the grocery store, so we order Chinese or we order pizza. Last night, I didn't want to go anywhere. I'm calling Canton 6, man. But we don't really hunger or thirst. Not in any real way, anyway. Now, maybe some of us do. But this was a reality for those living in Jesus' day. They couldn't go to Publix, where shopping is a pleasure. 
or Winn-Dixie, the beef people. They are the beef people. Every time I go in there, they got beef with me, and I don't know what the deal is. But every time I go, there's beef. But this is a reality for those living in that day. They were literally economically poor. And if, and if the rains didn't come, if, if, the, if the weather patterns changed and they didn't get water on their crops, they didn't have food. And so it was a reality then. You know, in many places around the world, it's a reality today. There are real people who hunger and thirst. As Kathleen told us when we did prayer for the persecuted church that, that some people walk nine miles to fill up a couple jugs of water. Yet we go to a water fountain. And just for a moment, I want us to, to, to see and sympathize what would it be like if we were literally hungry and thirsty. If you could feel the dryness of mouth and the emptiness of your bellies. Feel that so that we can gain a greater appreciation for just what, just exactly what Jesus is asking from us today. So this was a readily available metaphor for Jesus. And it was effective based upon how common famine was in those days. Abraham went to Egypt to sojourn there while there was a famine. Joseph and his brothers while there was a famine. Elijah in 1 Kings 18 when there was a famine. Famine throughout those days and throughout both the Old and New Testament. The prophets readily used famine as an example. Isaiah 55, 1 as an example of desiring for God. But this metaphor, like all metaphors, points beyond the immediate reality of spiritual or of physical hunger and physical thirst to spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. Deuteronomy 8.3 says this. Man does not live on bread alone, but man lives alone. By every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We are not beast. We are not beast. The tragedy of Darwinism is not whether or not we came from monkeys. It's not the mechanism. It's the devaluing of the image of God in human beings. It doesn't matter whether or not our common ancestor is an ape. If that were the way God chose to bring about human beings, so be it. I don't believe it is. But that's not the issue. The issue is the question we must ask Mr. Darwin and every Darwinist after that, and it's this. Then what is special about man? Someone told a story about a, a man living in a Nazi concentration camp. He said, as bad as it got, I saw one thing that kept people alive. When they were hungry and when they were thirsty, when they lost their hope, they died. But when they had their hope, they lived. Human beings are not beasts. 
And if we have our hope, we live. The question then is this. In whom or what are you putting your hope in? Who are you hoping in today? Your job? Your spouse? Your friends? Your fathers? Your mothers? The government? Your health? Your strength? Don't you know that the God we worship can take it all away? We're not beasts. Man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In John 6, 49, 51, the metaphor takes a reality, and here's what Jesus says. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. Everything we hope for in this life that's not God will one day die and disappoint. The manna's going to run out. So is the money. And Jesus says, your fathers, the people you pride yourself in, the people you, you run after in their religious tradition, your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness and they died. Some people have put their hope in the law of Moses and in Moses or maybe Abraham or maybe Ishmael. And let me speak. Let me just say this about every great leader in the Bible, every great man in the Bible, every great religious leader in history, every last one of them has this thing in common. They're dead and in a grave. So if you want to continuously eat manna that runs out and dies, go right ahead. Or, or, This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for him or give him for the life of the world is my flesh. Are you thirsty? Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We are not beasts. We can have our thirst and our hunger met in the hope of Jesus Christ. Christ. Do you have that hope? But we hunger and we thirst specifically, as Matthew says, for this, for righteousness. Now these beatitudes are the attitudes of God's people. So the expectation is that God's people are concerned and care to the point of hunger and thirst about righteousness. 
And this righteousness is not just their own personal righteousness. It is the righteousness of the entire world. When we turn on the news, do we weep as we see injustice and oppression constantly being exacerbated? Are we upset about that? As we watch the the home erode by our Supreme Court, do we weep over that? Do we hunger and desire to see marriage be defined the way marriage should be defined and man and woman to be regarded as their unique created status? Do we long for that? Or are we apathetic as more indifference comes in as to what God's two fundamental people were, man and woman? More indifference about the fundamental institution of society, the home. More indifference about racism and oppression in our streets. Someone said, why all of a sudden are people concerned about racism now? It's because they have camera phones. You think it hadn't been going on? Now we just see it. Does that upset you? So we don't just hunger and thirst for our own righteousness. It's really for the righteousness of others. Does it upset you when your brother is trapped in sin? And I don't mean your blood, brother. I mean another believer. Does it break your heart that they love false gods more than they love Jesus? That they love and that they're grabbed on and they're they're shackled to pornography or to, to money or to alcohol, or to drugs, or to their own pride, do we mourn over that? Do we even care? Or are we too busy? I'm concerned we may not hunger and thirst for righteousness the way that we should. John Stott notes that there are at least three biblical aspects of the word righteousness. One is our legal righteousness. That is a right relationship with God. In the Greek, the word dike can, can be, it could be interpreted as righteousness or justice. But it always has a strong connection to our legal relationship. So number one, righteousness is concerned with our legal righteousness before God. There is a moral righteousness, a character and a conduct which is pleasing to God. And then there is third, a social righteousness. That righteousness that seeks man's lifting or the lifting of oppression in all areas of our life and the promotion of greater civil rights. You know, the strength of Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s was this. It was led by someone who hungered and thirsted for righteousness the way that Jesus Christ hungered and thirsted for righteousness in his people. That's the difference. Our movement today for for the lifting of oppression is not led by believers. Shame on the believers. It was led by a believer in the 50s and 60s, and it was powerful. Today, it's not led by that. There isn't a hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that only God can give. Stott's point was this. 
Humans are to hunger and to thirst not only for their own righteousness, but for the whole human community as something pleasing to a righteous God. Turn on the news and you see this world is clearly not pleasing to God. And we know we know our, our own hearts aren't pleasing to God, but look, look at the world. It's not pleasing to God. I remember one time I was so upset with my own spiritual poverty that my professor asked me this. He said, it was when I was at Southern, he came to me and he said, while you've been so focused on yourself and your own spiritual needs, how has your ministry been for others? I said, it's been non-existent. He said, exactly. Satan is winning. We have to not only hunger and thirst for righteousness for ourselves and for others, but we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness in the right way. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. The A.T. Robertson notes that that literally means fattened, that will be filled. I want to talk just briefly about how we can hunger and thirst in the right way. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8, 9, and 13. Can everybody hear me through the rain? I can't stand the rain. Against my roof. Some of you are revealing that you're Missy Elliott fans right now. That's probably a ripoff of some older song, though, as, as they all were. Romans 8, 9, and 13. So we not only have to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness in the right way. Believers, this is the message to you. Those who are poor in spirit, hunger and thirst that God's righteousness, that God's justice will be brought to earth. We desire it. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Is there any way we can have that righteousness now? The answer is yes. Romans 8, 9, and 13. You, begins with this word, you, who? Believers. The same people that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes that are blessed. You, believers, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You say, I know that that poverty, and I know that injustice is going to be here until Jesus comes again. Yes, that is true. But we, each and every one of us, have the Spirit and can alleviate as much poverty and oppression and as much unrighteousness in our own lives and in the world as we possibly can if we actually hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So Paul says there's a dichotomy of two types of people in this world. There's those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. For the Bible, there's two types of people in the world. Those in the flesh, those in the spirit. But we are in the spirit. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Paul speaks about a mystery here. The reality for every Christian is that suffering and death are still here in this life for every one of us. I don't care what TBN says. They might be able to heal your leg today. They might be able to heal your cancer today. But we're all going to die. We're all going to die. The commonest of all things are tombstones. They're everywhere because all of us are going to die. The reality, though, is we don't have to live like dead men. If we have the spirit, Paul says, you are alive. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Specifically because of righteousness. In other words, Paul is saying that the life worth living is the righteous life. And Christians, if you're not living the righteous life, you're as good as dead. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life where? To your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Believer, non-believer, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the Spirit gives life to your mortal bodies. That means the ones that you're in right now. That's the hope. If you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, go be righteous. You have the Spirit. You can do it today. You have everything you need. 2 Peter verse 1, chapter 3. For godliness in this life. So then, Paul ends in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now that you've been saved by the Spirit and the Spirit lives in you, you don't owe the flesh a thing. You don't have to succumb to pornography. You don't have to succumb to gambling, drug addiction, alcohol, adultery, being a pain in the rear end. You can change that now. 
You don't have to succumb to that. You know, most of us don't have those big, big sins. But some of us have this rotten, nasty, cancerous sin called bitterness. Oh, I'm not, a, I'm not addicted to pornography or alcohol. I mean, I hate everybody in the church, but... You don't have to succumb to it, though. Well, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. Not if you're led by the Spirit. Not as if Paul says the Spirit, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Not if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you don't have to be in prison to bitterness or to any other sin. And here's how he ends. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You know, believer, the reality is this. If there are no marks that you're saved, there is no certainty that you are. None. Believer is as believer does. I think Forrest Gump said that. He says this, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The good news this morning is this. God has sent us a comforter called his Holy Spirit. And that while in this life, it's so unique that this chapter, Romans 8, comes after the chapter where Paul says this at the end of verse 7. He says this. Wretched man that I am. He's hungry for righteousness. He's thirsty for righteousness. Wretched man that I am. Have you ever been here? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Every time I try to do the right thing, Lord, I fail. God, I hate failing. I hate when I'm not kind to my spouse, when I have a quick word and mean word to my children. I hate that I, that I can't overcome my, my addiction. I, can't, I hate that I, I hate other people, Lord. I want something different. God has given us a provision for now, his spirit. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But thanks be to God that the question doesn't end there without being answered. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul says we can be delivered from that law of sin. If you're hungry this morning for righteousness, if you're thirsty, if your life, if you, if you have a diet that is not yielding the righteous body that you desire, ask for the Spirit to either come into you or fill you by the word of God. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. Let's pray.